right, lecture number four in the New Age and the Occult. Uh, we already discussed the uh, some of the books that refute the New Age movement. So now I want to move right to uh, refuting New Age beliefs. Refuting New Age beliefs. Uh, and this will be the remainder of our section on the New Age movement. I don't think we're going to get through all of these in this lecture. We'll probably spend at least two, if not three, lectures on that, and then we'll move to the world of the occult. Uh, first New Age belief we want to refute is that of pantheism. Uh, a biblical response, we could see, we, we, we want to do two things in refuting New Age beliefs. We want to first show that New Age beliefs contradict the Bible so that you can't claim to be a Bible believer and a New Ager. If you do, you're, uh, you're lying through your teeth or you just don't, haven't read the Bible in its proper context. And then number two, we want to show philosophically uh, or scientifically that the New Age movement is out to lunch. Uh, but Genesis 1.1 says that in the beginning God created the, the heavens and the earth. In other words, God created the universe. So it's teaching that God is not the universe. God is separate from the universe. God created the universe. And there's a distinction between the creator and the creature. Uh, pantheism, God is the universe. So, so the Christianity does not teach pantheism. It teaches theism that God created the universe. Also, Christianity teaches that God is a personal being. He is not an impersonal force. He's not uh, a force like electricity. He's not an it, like a rock or a door or, uh, or you know, a force like electricity is an it. It's not a he or she. God is a personal being. Uh, John 3.16 tells us that uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God is a personal being that can love us and can enter into a personal relationship with us. Psalm 94 verse 9 says that uh, he who made the uh, eye can he not see? He who formed the ear can he not hear? It's not saying that God has eyes and ears but it's saying that if the effect if the uh, limited effect can see or hear then the unlimited cause must also at least be able to see and hear. Uh, well, when you apply that to, to the realm of personality, Jeff was asking before the first lecture, how can the New Agers argue that uh, God is impersonal? How could you get personal beings from that? Well, they would just view the personal aspects uh, of man as, as being uh, part of the illusion. And that ultimately... Uh, reality is impersonal um, but uh, the Christian would argue no in order to refute personality in order to refute personality you have to assume uh, personality because one of the one of the key aspects of personality is intelligence and in order to uh, and by the way lots of new agers give God intelligence but then still call him an it and that, that's ludicrous because electricity doesn't have intelligence a uh, personal being does has intelligence emotions and a will but but uh, uh, if uh, 
lost my train of thought here. Um, can't remember. We're just total, total brain cramp here. Uh, but whatever the case, oh, I, I remember now. If you want to deny personality and intelligence, if you want to say, okay, no intelligence, intelligence exists in this universe, well, that's either an intelligent statement or it's not. If it's not an intelligent statement, well, let's just ignore it. You're just, uh, you know, uh, a buffoon. It's just, uh, you know. Uh, but if it is an intelligent statement, if it is ex in expressing rational, intelligent thought that has order so that we can understand what is being said, uh, then it refutes itself. Um, so obviously, pantheism is not biblical. Uh, scientifically and philosophically, I think we can refute pantheism. Scientifically, uh, we know that the universe had a beginning. Energy deterioration, the second law of thermodynamics, tells us that though the amount of energy in the universe remains constant, the amount of usable energy is winding down. So that eventually you go far enough into the future, if there is no God, all the energy in the universe will be unusable, the universe will have died. Well, that means that if you go backwards in time, the amount of the usable energy in the universe would be on the rise until eventually you'd reach a point where all the energy in the universe was usable and uh, that would be the mark the beginning of the universe. Well, if the universe had a beginning, then the universe needs a cause. The Big Bang model also teaches uh, that the universe had a beginning. As you move forward in time, the universe is expanding in all directions. If you go backwards in time, the universe is getting uh, smaller and smaller until you reach a point the scientists call a point of infinite density. Something can only be uh, small or dense in, uh, in a uh, finite or limited sense. If it's infinitely dense, then it's nothing. If it's small without limit, it's nothing. They also refer to it as being a point of dimensionless space. Well, if space doesn't have any dimensions, then it's no space. So uh, the universe had a beginning. It was created out of nothing, and, but it has to have a cause. Um, philosophically, you can argue that it's impossible to have an actual infinite set that exists outside of a mind. Okay? Um, If the universe is eternal, there would be an, it would have taken an infinite number of moments in the past, okay? But then you would never reach the present moment now because you would have to traverse an actual infinite number of moments to reach the present moment now. But it's impossible to uh, traverse. I, I put down it's impossible to transgress an actual it's, it's impossible to traverse was the word I was trying to write, so you want to correct that. It's impossible to traverse an actual uh, infinite. Um, because we have reached the present moment now, we know that there had to be a first moment. And so uh, basically the universe had to have a beginning. And so whatever had a beginning, it could not cause its own beginning because then it would have to pre-exist its own existence in order to cause its own existence Therefore, uh, whatever had a beginning needs a cause. And uh, 
because there's intelligence and morality in the universe, although the, the, the New Ager will argue that... Uh, the New Ager will do one of two things about intelligence. We'll either argue that intelligence is an illusion, or we'll say, yeah, intelligence, uh, the God is intelligent, but it's not, he's not a personal being which to me is contradictory. If, if, if God is an intelligent being, uh, then God is a personal being. Um, but with morality, they will say that God is beyond morality. That's why the force has a dark side, and you know, good side and a bad side and that type of thing. Uh, God is supposed to be beyond good and evil, but the New Ager will deny that there is such a thing as right and there is such a thing as wrong and that type of thing, but, but but New Agers protest more things than just about any other person on earth. They're always, save the whales. Why? If there's no such thing as right and wrong, why save the whales? Um, stop, uh, you know, close up all the lumber yards and stuff. Why? Uh, save the spotted owl. Why? Um, so, uh, uh, I think we can make a case that because of intelligence and morality in the universe, the cause of the universe must also be intelligent and moral. Hey, oh, oh, and by the way, just because you find something in the universe doesn't mean that it has to be found in God. Well, yeah, like evil. Uh, you could, you know, somebody says, well, if there's intelligence in the universe, and you say that God, therefore, the cause of the universe must be intelligent. There's also evil in the universe. Therefore, the cause of the universe must be evil. Or if the, the universe is material, therefore the cause of the universe must be material. Uh, Aquinas argued basically, I'm going to paraphrase it now, but basically for all to explain the existence, the only way to explain the existence of all finite existence is with, it must be grounded in infinite existence. But infinite being uh, can only all its attributes are perfections and it can only have these perfections to an infinite degree otherwise it would not be an infinite being okay so basically it's only the perfections found in the universe that can be applied to God since uh, it's impossible to have infinite matter because matter must take up space and you can't have you know infinite space uh, God has to be an immaterial being okay um, because evil only exists as a privation of that which is good it's only a corruption of that which is good you can't have infinite evil you can only have infinite good okay so it's only the perfections of the universe that can be rightly applied to God um, also we can refute pantheism uh, by showing that many beings exist uh, first off as Norman Geiser would say, I must, I must exist even to deny my existence. If I deny my existence, I have to exist to make the denial. Nothing is nothing, therefore nothing can do nothing, therefore nothing uh, can deny nothing. The fact that you can deny your own individual existence must mean that you uh, have to exist in order to make the denial. So I know that I exist, and when I commute to, communicate to others, I affirm their separate and individual existence. Okay? Yeah. Actually, nothing is a self-refuting uh, concept. As far as what? Um, it doesn't have any ontological 
Yeah, it doesn't have any ontological status, but it uh, it, it has epistemological merit. In other words, uh, if we think of the, when we think of the concept of nothing and we recognize it is no thing, uh, it has meaning. It's not a meaningless statement. Um, if nothing is a meaningless statement, then uh, to say that the, that God created ex nihilo, God created the universe out of nothing, then you know that would be a meaningless statement as well. So. Uh, Nothing is that which does not exist. So in order to understand the concept being, then we also must understand the concept non-being, which is nothing. So we can understand the concept, but the fact of the matter is, you're right, there's no ontological status of it because nothing is nothing. It doesn't represent anything. The absence of something. Yeah, the absence of something. It's a negative language problem. Well, it, it, it requires being to have it. Without without being, there could be non-being. So it's dependent on being. Well, I would agree. I, I would I would agree with you to a certain degree. But I would say Norman Geisler wouldn't agree. I don't want to bring up the ontological argument again, but Norman Geisler argues that. It, the assumption, the hidden assumption of the ontological argument is that something now exists. And the ontological argument argues that it, it proves God's existence with rational certainty, meaning that uh, its denial is contradictory. God's existence, the denial, his, the, the denial of God's existence would be non would be contradictory. Therefore, God must exist out of logical necessity. Well, Geisler argues that it's always possible that nothing uh, exists. And, uh, and so he would argue, you have to assume something exists and then argue to God's existence, so you have to use a cosmological argument. If nothing exists, he has to exist in order to say that. No, no, he, 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 Geisler is not, Geisler's not arguing that nothing exists. He's arguing that it's not a contradiction to say nothing exists, not a logical contradiction. Actual undeniability and logical uh, necessity are two totally different things. Uh, actual, actual, actual undeniability is the same as existential undeniability. Um, uh, it is logically possible that Phil Fernandez uh, would never come into existence. But it's actually undeniable for me to say that I don't exist because I have to exist in order to deny my existence. But it was, it is logically possible that God could have created, and that there are possible worlds where uh, I don't exist, but not the real world, not the real world that God actualized. But God certainly could have thought of a world where after Adam and Eve, He just said, "No more. I've had enough with these people," and Phil Fernandez never comes into existence. But what Geisler was saying is that it's possible that nothing, that the statement nothing exists is logically possible. And it's true. Before God created it. Well, God, God would still God exist. Existed. See, because it's argue, for the ontological argument, we're, we're, we're trying to see if God exists. And he says the hidden God premise, exists. he's saying the hidden premise of it is that something exists. And so he's saying it's really 
a cosmological argument because you start with something in existence so you're arguing basically from the universe to God See, he's, he's, he's playing on Alvin Lutengas so his, his basic statement is that the ontological argument can be stated simply that something exists therefore God must and here's why well his ba- what he's talking about Alvin Platinga. Alvin Platinga's form of the ontological argument argues that by definition the greatest conceivable being is a being that would be the greatest conceivable being in, in every possible world and since the actual world is one of the possible worlds it's not an impossible world and the greatest conceivable being exists in every possible world he must exist in the actual world so God exists but the ontological argument by definition is supposed to be proven God from rational necessity Geisler says now wait a minute though you slipped into your argument the assumption that the actual world does actually exist and that's not a premise you can use in the uh, ontological argument because now you've left the realm of pure reason and you've gotten into you, you didn't you're not arguing any longer a priori before examining things now you're going to one of the things the actual world and uh, and so it's actually cosmological but the, the one thing that that bothers me on that but but it might be just a semantical problem and but it's all tied up in the concept of nothing and that's why we got on this on this this conversation where we're talking lots and lots about nothing um, yeah we, we've learned so much about nothing today but uh, um, Geisler argues that the statement nothing exists is not logically contradictory okay so by saying that nothing is so what he's saying is that we're the ontological the ontological argument has to assume the cosmological premise that something now exists before you can prove God's existence, so it's really a cosmological argument, not Alvin Platinga's form of the ontological argument. That is, it's really it works, but it's really a cosmological argument. It's not an ontological. The problem that I have with it, though, the statement "nothing exists," you could say, well, nothing means non-being. Exists to say something exists means that it it has being. So the statement "nothing exists," you can write it down as non-being is being which is the classic way to write the law of non-contradiction in other words in other words there's a way but it might be just a semantical twist there's a way to argue that it is a logical contradiction to say that nothing exists uh, but it, you know then we just get into are we playing language games you know look <laughs> I'll priority. I'll 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 What's that? Enjoyed, but, go ahead. I don't think a priori knowledge is possible because you have to pre you have to presuppose your own existence to be your own reason. No, I I, I I think that no knowledge is possible without without some uh, a priori ideas. That's why I'm not uh, 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 an epistemological Thomist. Uh, Thomas Aquinas said we start life as a blank slate. I'll give him that in the conscious realm. He, he Aquinas argues. Uh, everything in the mind was first in the senses except the mind itself I disagree I take more of an Augustinian position more of a platonic position that we had to have some innate ideas 
In other words, we have to go in, even even with these innate ideas, these a priori ideas that we're born with, they can be in the unconscious realm, and we're not even aware of them until we use them. But we have to use them to think. Um, Now, Aquinas does allow for innate ability. The active mind is the innate ability to arrive at rational conclusions from sense data, but I would argue that uh, you need more than innate ability. Uh, you need uh, innate ideas. In other words, I, I, didn't, I didn't get my idea of, of equality from looking at two cups of equal size. I brought the idea of equality in. That, that, that was one of my presuppositions that I brought in with me, one of the self-evident ideas that I brought in with me when I examined two equal cups, and I said, what do you know, they're equal. At the same time, though, um, you know, what does equality look like? How much does it weigh? Can you get moral values from a mound of dirt? Um, You know, can you get morality from uh, molecules in motion? And I think every one of those statements, I think, deals a death blow to uh, Aquinas' epistemology. And it doesn't mean that I don't argue like Aquinas. I can argue like Aquinas, but uh, I would not, uh, I would not say I'm getting my first, arriving at first principles from examining sense data. I might say, well, I'm becoming aware of the first principles by examining sense data. But those ideas, not just the ability to arrive at them, but those ideas were innate in us, and that's part of being created in the image of God, I believe. When you say that nothing exists, a lot of contradiction, I mean, it's not because... It does... the, The statement, nothing exists, is possible because as a concept, it is real. Yeah, that, that, so, that's, well, yeah, but see, no, no, but see, uh, no, no, not really, because we're going beyond the language, we're going to the, the ontological status, can, can that really be a true, can, can it be true ontologically? In other words, the statement, um, all bachelors are married. Hear what I'm saying? All bachelors are married. That propositional statement, obviously that statement exists, but is it true? So it can exist as an idea, but it can't be true. It's self-refuting. The question is, is the statement, nothing exists, self-refuting? All I'm saying is, there is a way to write down that statement, nothing exists, in a self-refuting manner. Non-being is being, which is the classical uh, way to, to write down the law of non-contradiction. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, Geisler is wrong and Platinga's ontological argument works, but I am saying I am, I am open to the possibility that Geisler might be wrong. Uh, but what that would mean, that, but it's all based on whether or not what's going on is just a little language game or, and, and it's, just, it's just some problems with, the, with, with finite, limited language or uh, whether uh, whether really uh, you know we really uh, are onto something there, uh, but it's it's real. But as far as as a concept, nothing. Uh, 
it, it is something that has rational content, if you will. Uh, it's the idea, it's the rem re removal or the negation uh, of that which exists. Uh, but uh, uh, whatever the case, uh, many beings exist. When I communicate to others, I affirm they're separate individual existence. You know, you can consistently say, only my mind exists. As long as you're in the closet, you turn off all the lights, and you can scream it as loud as you want. I'm the only mind that exists. I'm the only mind that exists. But once you tell that to another mind, once you tell that to another mind and you try to convince him that you are, you are the only mind that exists, you are refuting your own view because you're assuming the existence of another mind other than your own mind in order to communicate the idea that your mind is the only mind that exists. Uh, now, now let, let me say this though too. Well, uh, I, I would I would basically say I'd give you eight credits for the course, though. but uh, um, let me say this too: the there was a time when only one being existed. The argument I'm using here to refute pantheism, the idea that everything is one being, there was a time when only one being existed. Yet, there was three, that one being is three persons, and so they were communicating to each other, yet it did not refute the existence of only one being. Okay? Um, but, in other words, God is one being in a real sense, and, but he is three persons in a real sense. Uh, the New Ager is saying all reality is one being in a real sense, which Christianity does not teach because God created finite beings. Uh, but the New Ager is saying all reality is one being, and they, and they say that's in a real sense, but reality is many, but not in a real sense. And so ba basically they're saying all reality is one, and so just the admitting, just admitting separate persons, uh, the actual real existence of separate persons, of separate minds, is actually uh, a contradiction for them to do. Okay, so what I'm saying is this argument would not hold water against the doctrine of the Trinity. In, in fact, infinite being must be one being. You can only have one infinite being because to be infinite being, you must be unlimited in all your attributes you must be unlimited in that you must have every possible perfection. If you lack one perfection, then you would not be an infinite being. So the only way one being can differ from another being is if it was to lack something the other being had. And, uh, but if it lacked the perfection that the other being had, then it wouldn't be an infinite being. So there could only be one infinite being. Two, two or more infinite beings, they would limit one another's existence. Uh, infinite being by definition can't be limited so God by nature what God has by nature the necessary attributes that God has uh, makes God one infinite being at the same time there are some non-necessary choices that God can make and one person of the Trinity that 
shares the, the being of God. One person of the Trinity chose to become a man at a point in time. Another person of the Trinity chose to send his son to become a man. And another person of the Trinity chose to baptize the church on the, on the Feast of Pentecost. So there are different choices proving different persons, uh, but you have one being. But, but yeah. Just, okay, from a New Age standpoint, <clears throat> I can see how a New Ager would say, well, that's just because you have a Christian presupposition. You know, if I was a New Ager, I could say, okay, I understand what you're saying. However, everything is one being, yet we are different persons in this quote-unquote reality, yet at the same time we are all one being, and try to parallel that to how a Christian says God is one being, yet three persons. Yeah, but they don't teach that part. Well, I'm just saying, how would you, if you could, did... Well, you know, what, what, you're, what you're basically saying, though, is that... Uh, if you refuted a New Ager's belief, he could always change that belief. So, you know, yeah, it, fine, fine with me, but yeah, and then I would have to face that other belief. Uh, I would just argue that that's, that's basically ludicrous. How can, how can, you know, well, uh, I, w I would have to probably argue for, well, it would be something that I'd have to look into and until I find somebody who actually holds to the view, I wouldn't have a whole lot of incentive to really look into it. But they don't teach that we are separate persons in a real sense. Uh, they teach that we are all one being in the real sense, and that either emanating from the one being or uh, as illusions or uh, manifestations that are actually illusions, um, there appears to be individual souls and that type of thing, but in actuality there is not. Uh, emanational pantheism is a type of pantheism that is very close to panentheism, but panentheism actually goes further. Um, and But all I'm getting at though is the the true New Age belief, and, and then by the way, you're going to find people that hold different variations of each belief, but the true New Age belief uh, holds that the individual soul, the individual mind, is an illusion. And so all that exists is uh, one mind, and, and, and somehow it's an impersonal mind. How a mind can be impersonal, I don't know. It's it, it just... Uh, it's the evolution. In order to make evolution sound strong, the atheist has to give the evolutionary principle the attributes of God, give him intelligence and this and that, and and how you give chance the attributes of God. You know, you know, it begs the question. But what I'm getting at, though, is I think we can make a case. That I think we can make a case for the end of the existence of individual. Um, that when a person tries to convince you to be a pantheist, to believe that all reality is one, uh, he is assuming your individual, the existence of your individual mind, in order to communicate to you the negation of the existence of your individual mind. Okay, 
So uh, it's like, hey, uh, if you're right, why are you treating me? You know, it, it's like it's like you're presupposing the Christian worldview, the Christian view of reality, just to communicate to me why should I allow you to convince me to therefore reject the Christian worldview of reality when you can't even live consistently with your your monistic view. You know. Uh, to really be a consistent pantheist, not only would you not eat, you wouldn't communicate. And uh, I guess you can make a case that you could think, uh, because you are the one mind. But uh, so you know, basically, I'm just getting at the fact, just the, the fact that a guy can can close his door, go into the closet, and scream out at the top of his lungs, uh, I. No mind exists but my mind. Only my mind exists. Only my mind exists. Uh, but once he opens the door and comes out and tries to convince you of that, he's contradicting himself. Now, again, with New Agers, they don't mind contradicting themselves. But uh, deep down inside, you know, that, 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 that's what Hindu meditation is all about. The cessation of thought, of rational thought, the disengaging of the mind but God made us to think. God made us thinking beings. I mean, it's hard to believe that when you uh, look at America today. But God actually created us. One of the purposes for creating was to create us. He created us in His image so we could think. And uh, but uh, even things that a that a dog doesn't deny in his practice, though he doesn't isn't, isn't able isn't able to. Uh, uh, relate that you know a dog will never be able to uh, explain to you the law of non-contradiction but he uses it in his practice if uh, if my wife hides behind a door and calls the dog if the dog looks in the closet and doesn't find my wife then my dog recognizes okay she's not in the closet she must be in non-closet and the dog begins to look elsewhere. The dog is actually applying the law of non-contradiction. What separates the man, human, the human intellect, from uh, the uh, mind of a dog is the fact that the human intellect can then uh, meditate on and think about the law, the principle, the law of non-contradiction itself. The dog can't. Okay? The dog uses it, but doesn't even know that it's using it. Uh, but the man not only uses it, he can think about it. And of course, uh, man can bow down and worship God and be a religious being, whereas uh, animals cannot. That's a good argument, too, for, for describing how uh, we do have those certain <coughs> first principles or concepts built into our who we are in our subconscious because those same principles and concepts also apply to other animals that don't have a general yeah, and it, it's, uh, I, I, I guess, you know, and it's real tough, too, because it, it, I'd have to give it a lot of thought to, to even decide whether Aquinas is, whether Aquinas' is epistemology would even work for a dog at all, uh, because uh, the innate subconscious, well, well, again, the dog doesn't really call things equal. Uh, but it's got it recognizes being is being. I mean, when when 
Petra's friend uh, Cecil comes over. She recognized Cecil is Cecil. And Melissa, my daughter, is Melissa. And Melissa is not Phil. And Phil is not Melissa. So uh, but it's hard to say. But uh, somewhere I, I, I think that there has to be the innate ideas for at least human reason uh, to make rational judgments on sense data. It is the old Aristotelian platonic debate and uh, uh, okay self-deification from a biblical standpoint uh, we must recognize it's a lie of Satan uh, Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 7 uh, Lucifer uh, spoke through channeled through a serpent so channeling was real quick in the Bible uh, Lucifer spoke through the serpent and uh, deceived Adam and Eve and told them if they ate from the tree of uh, the forbidden fruit that uh, they would be like God. Now, uh, it's tough to... Some translations read they would be like God and some read they would be like gods. The tough thing is Elohim is used. Elohim usually means gods. If, if, it's, if it's speaking about God, then it means God, the one true God, but it can also be used of gods in the plural. Uh, in uh, Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's not El, E-L, uh, which is uh, singular. It's not Elah, E-L-A-H, which is uh, dual. But it's Elohim, uh, meaning three or more. Uh, yet it's joined with the singular form of the word bara for create. So the only way to translate that is in the beginning God, one God, created the heavens and the earth. And if you wanted to give it its fullest sense of the Hebrew, you could say, in the beginning, one God of three or more created the heavens and the earth. And uh, uh, a lot of uh, Hebrew scholars tried to argue for the plurality of majesty and that, the, you know, in ancient times, the king would call himself we or us. Like uh, when God says, let us make man in our image in Genesis 1.27, but Gleason Archer, one of the, the great Old Testament uh, scholars of our day, uh, he argues there's no evidence of the plurality of majesty being used as a poetic device uh, anywhere uh, in ancient literature which predates Christ. In other words, um, uh, more than poetry is going on when the Old Testament calls the one true God somehow one God who is somehow a plurality and when he talks to himself he says let us create man in our image uh, but whatever the case the lie of Satan was that uh, we can become gods Isaiah 14 verses 12 to 14 talks about the fall of Lucifer the five I wills I will do this I will do that uh, I will uh, become like the most high God El Elyon the uh, strongest strong one um, Satan wanted to become God and uh, so this whole self-deification is a lie of Satan it's siding with Lucifer uh, remember the uh, Theosophical Society is famous for bringing the New Age movement to America New Eastern thought to America and their publishing house used to be the Lucifer Press and uh, uh, the, it, their sales were kind of low so they changed it to uh, Lucius uh, Press and uh, now their, their, their sales are up but 
but uh, New Age thought does not really, you know, uh, very often New Age thought will think that, you know, hey, you know, Christians gave Lucifer a bad rap. The masonry, the 33rd degree of, uh, of Freemasonry is a Luciferian order. Um, uh, look at uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 22. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 22 and uh, that reads who is, a, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ he is uh, antichrist who denies the father and the son so the Bible teaches that Jesus is the Christ now the Christian scientists and new agers uh like to say in the, in the Unity School of Christianity they like to say that Jesus is not Christ Jesus just uh, exercised his Christ consciousness better than all of us in other words when we say Jesus Christ we're not saying that Jesus is unique because you could say Phil Christ Jeff Christ Kurt Christ it's just that Jesus exercised his Christ consciousness better than us he recognized his deity more than we recognize our deity but in reality we're just as much God as he is that's not what the Bible teaches so again you can be a new ager but you can't claim to have a biblical basis to be a new ager because uh, it is anti-biblical uh, to say that we all have the Christ consciousness it's just Jesus exercised it to a greater degree than us the Bible teaches that Jesus is the Christ he is the Messiah the anointed one of God when you look at the Old Testament predictions about the Messiah, it says that he's going to be God. He's referred to as Emmanuel. God is with us. Seven, Isaiah 7.14, he's called the mighty God, Isaiah 9.6. He's referred to as uh, uh, the mighty God returning with uh, all his angels in power and glory, Zechariah chapter 14. He's referred to as the Ancient of Days or the Eternal One, Micah uh, chapter, uh, I believe, uh, 5 verse 2. So uh, the Old Testament, even Jeremiah refers to him as uh, Yahweh our righteousness, the one who's going to sit on the throne of David. So Jesus alone is the Christ, and as the Christ, he is God. Um, we do not share the Christ consciousness. Uh, we could argue from a, uh, a scientific or philosophical standpoint that we are limited beings we need air water food time and space uh, we're limited to space but limited by time but we need food air and water to continue in our uh, physical existence and all limited existence needs an unlimited cause to ground it in existence God is not limited by other beings now they would say that's all an illusion I would argue if it why should we reject what common sense and common experience teaches us over and over and over again you know a philosophy that cannot be lived is not worth believing there's no two ways about it and uh, a, a guy can say the physical realm does not exist all everything outside of my mind uh, does not exist uh, but then he goes to the to McDonald's and buys himself a burger because he hasn't eaten for a few hours, you know? And it, it's like 
He can't live that way. And the clothes he's wearing don't exist, but he puts them on. He won't go out naked in public. And, uh, and you know, you don't, you know, all separate individual existence is an illusion at the same time, though he's willing to debate you, even though the two of you do not exist as separate uh, beings. You're all one being. So uh, I, I think that, uh, uh, that we could just argue that, hey, uh, if we just accept what common experience and common sense tells us time and time again, we are limited beings, and limited existence must be grounded in unlimited existence, uh, and therefore there is a God, but we are not Him. Uh, also, this idea that we just need to recognize we're, that we are God, so we don't need to be saved, we just need to recognize we're already saved, that we are, we are uh, uh, God. Uh, we need to uh, recognize this also is, is anti-biblical. The Bible teaches that we need to be saved. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Matthew 19.25-26, the apostles asked Jesus, well, how can man be saved? Jesus said, this is impossible for man, but all things are possible with God. So Jesus is telling us that since it's impossible for man to save himself, we must look to God for the way of salvation, uh, for God can save us. All things are possible with him. And then look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. 1 John 1, verses 8 to 10. That reads, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So to deny that you are a sinner, to deny that sin is real, is to deny the Christian faith. You can't accept Jesus as the Savior in the biblical sense of the, of the, the word if you believe that you are God and if you believe that you don't have this thing called sin that he needs to solve that problem uh, for you by dying on the cross for your sins. So basically, in the areas of pantheism and self-deification, we see that the New Age movement is biblically, it's anti, anti-Bible, it's anti-reason, and it's anti-science. And, uh, and therefore, it should be rejected on all three counts. We'll pick it up on reincarnation. We'll talk about that uh, next week. We'll probably spend both lectures next week uh, uh, dealing with uh, refuting the other New Age beliefs, and then the week after that we'll begin to talk about uh, the world of the occult. Do you have any-